Yeah. Not very many at all. Yeah. I don't think I missed any. I think I probably just rescheduled it to like to uh, just fit the work in elsewhere. So I don't really think I have missed any. Either. Exactly. Same. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you for this interesting consult. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Okay, Dr. Brocky, thoughts on using Advil daily for inflammation? Uh, this is a late 30s male with sore knees, still squats. Yeah. Um, so lots of people use, if you're just using like one Advil tab daily and you're a healthy person and you don't have pre-existing you know, kidney, GI disease, the usual sorts of things, it's, it's probably okay, but we want to make sure that like, why do you need this every day? Uh, do you, is, is there something up with your squat that we need to adjust? Is there something up with your programming that we need to adjust? Do you actually have some sort of underlying inflammatory arthritis or something that's been undiagnosed? Can we throw some knee sleeves on to make it feel better? Like we, we need, you know, I would prefer for people to not take medication versus take it, um, but if, you know, if we've gone through all those things, your squat technique is flawless, your programming, we're not crushing your knees with, you know, you're not trying to do small off at age 38 or 39 or something silly like that, you know, just rule, rule all these things out. Yeah, really ever, but rule all those things out. If everything from that standpoint looks perfect and you still just find that, you, you know, one tablet of Advil a day makes you feel, you know, like you're able to train, then again, training is better than not training. So I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have anything to add. Other than I don't, I probably would not in general recommend people take an anti-inflammatory on a daily basis unless otherwise yep. necessary. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Advice, <laughs> thoughts on, no, uh, Dr. Baraki, what is your advice on programming to continue gaining strength while also training jiu-jitsu? So I'm not a jiu-jitsu coach. I am completely unfamiliar with both, A, what jiu-jitsu is, really, and also... It's a martial arts discipline. I, mean, I know it's a martial from, art. No, from the Jewish folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's when the Jews do the jitsu. Uh, so, That's my understanding. So, so I really am not familiar enough with the demands of the sport to be able to, you know, give you kind of a specific recommendation for what you're doing. But you know, you can just default back to really how you continue gaining strength while doing just about anything else is you're just, I mean, you're going to keep training. If you're a novice, then you can try to fit the novice linear progression or as close of a close of a variation to it as possible alongside what your uh, other sport demands are. Um, if that means you need to train twice a week, then you need to train twice a week. If you have an off season, you can focus more of your uh, novice progression during your off season. But in terms of something that you would need to do differently in the novice progression because you are doing jujitsu, I'm not able to tell you I, there, I would say that there's probably not anything you need to do differently. So yeah, I think uh, well, so you know the demand, the part of the biggest issue with training BJJ while also trying to do legitimate strength strength training um, is that just recovery demands are spread too thinly, and you have jujitsu, which has a lot of uh, you know impact <laughs> by yeah. definition, particularly if you're sparring regularly. Uh, joint uh, ranging happens quite often, um, you know, so. You're, you're effectively, you've picked, you know, two things that are both, you know, not compatible really with optimal strength training in addition to a highly fatiguing, ex, you know, extra training volume. Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to have to, you play by ear. I mean, that's the thing. Effectively, I would say, well, you're a novice and you can do the novice progression until proven otherwise, for instance, or you can do this intermediate template um, until proven otherwise, and you're just going to have to assess your demands. The, the worst thing you could do is be trying to train BJJ, strength train, sleep poorly, and lose, try to lose weight all at the same time. Right. Yeah, and sure. effectively, my advice from there would be pick one, 
because trying to serve two masters at the same time, you're gonna you're gonna blow yourself up, and that's a pr- great recipe for getting hurt. So mm-hmm. probably don't do that. You cannot do everything at the same time. A mentor once said to me, Jordan, you <laughs> you can do anything you want to do, but you can't do everything, <laughs> and it's true. Yeah, you can do anything you want to do. You just can't do everything. Okay. Mikey D, not to be confused with the uh, Beastie Boys MC, asks, Hey, uh, I train at home, and uh, when I bought my equipment, I went with a Rogue Ohio bar. You notice that He notices that it slips down his back during squats on his work sets, possibly due to no center knurling. Uh, is there anything I can do short of dropping cash on a power bar with the center knurl to help? Yeah, that was a mistake, man. I actually own an Ohio bar. Uh, I don't use it to squat with ever. Uh, but yeah, the no center knurl... Can be an issue, but you but you probably just need to tighten up your your low bar kind of rack position. You can put some chalk across your back. How much it's going to help is kind of a plus or minus with just that totally slick surface on it. But um, real slick. Make sure. I mean, yeah, you might need to be you might be a candidate to try to bring your grip in a little bit narrower than you otherwise would to try to beef up that shelf back there and get some chalk on the bar. That's really all you can do, uh, in my opinion. Otherwise, just get a bar with some neural man. Yeah, a couple things. Well, so the other thing I would say, don't use like a Lululemon, you know, sheer shirt. Yeah. Um, try to use like a heavyweight, like those Gildan, you know, thick heavyweight mm-hmm. shirts because those give you a little extra bite, chalk your back. The other problem with the Rogue Ohio bar is that the distance from neural to neural, I think is actually greater than 16 and a half inches. I thought it was a little wider. So mm-hmm. the slick surface is actually, the non-neuraled surface I thought was actually a little wider. Uh, in any event, I would just recommend, I mean, if you care enough to comment on here, I would just say drop the 300 bucks, get a new bar. Or 250 on our bare steel power yeah, bar. Yeah, that's you know. what I'm saying. So it's three, yeah. whatever, you know, so because it's just. And, oh, something else just came to mind. Like, you know, just make sure that you're also not using a thumbless grip with your hand like rolled over the bar or something. Yeah. So the bar is just going to easily slip down like that. You might actually benefit, a, you know, might have some. Uh, unintended side effects but if you take a thumbs around grip that might help you hold the bar in place a little better so <laughs> i don't think we got a single question about our thumbs around the bar grip so that's like a first for it's us a pr it's a it's thumb good. pr yeah troy sideburns not to be confused with billy madison's janitor also named sideburns <laughs> uh asks my 72 year old dad was told that his ankle was bone on bone yeah. Years of sprains and twists from sports. Can he strengthen his ankle so he doesn't have to wear a brace? He walks like Frankenstein's monster, and my mom hates it. Uh, there's a, you know, we need a consult of social work here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like he's just got bad arthritis in his ankle. Recurrent injuries in the past definitely are going to predispose you to post-traumatic kind of arthritis there. Um, I don't know what you mean, but so, so when you say can he strengthen his ankle, like what specifically you're wanting to – strengthen or if he has some sort of a strength deficit um, in terms of why you think he needs a brace if it's the matter that he has like recurrent sprains and strains he can certainly do strength training i would just put him in some weightlifting shoes and have him squat and deadlift and everything the way we do i can't guarantee that's going to you know strengthen the what you're looking for it to strengthen i don't really know um, because some people have connective tissue issues or they're just like super prone to like just constant rolling their ankles, spraining their ankles, twisting their ankles. And so, you know, it's not like your ankles are going through a significant range of motion or anything when you're doing a squat or deadlift in some weightlifting shoes. So how much of an effect that's going to have on, on this issue is hard to say, but I would certainly say that he should 
train versus not train. Um, I don't know what it's going to do, what it's going to end up doing to his gate, but you know, this Frankenstein gate, but who knows? He needs to train. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, just the eccentric loading on the, uh, musculoskeletal system in general has beneficial remodeling properties. And I think that to the extent that will improve his symptoms, you know, that's, that's what I would do. I would have zero stretching being done. Uh, Again, and this is probably what he gets told at the office. Oh, just do a little stretching and, you know. Ankle mobility. God. Yeah, but that's, the, new, the new thing, man, ankle mobility. Yeah, it's it's actually the worst. And so yeah. I think that's actually a litmus test when somebody talks about ankle mobility uh, outside of, like, an acute fracture with, like, surgical repair. Yeah. Uh, then you just know that you're talking to somebody who knows just enough to take your money and be dangerous but yeah. not really help you out. Um, and depending on what he or she looks like and your preferences, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe you continue that relationship. Uh, <laughs> all right, we'll move on. Uh, Reynolds Strong asks, how do you guys deal with the two most common nagging injuries we face in starting strength? Uh, tendonitis around the elbow, medial and lateral, and what seems to be a rising number of posterior shoulder impingement issues, aka the infraspinatus, that are potentially rooted in low bar squatting and then exacerbated by pressing and bench pressing. I'll take the lead here because sure. I, I so i think probably the two most common nagging injuries in starting strength are the same injuries that are most prev- prevalent in the ambulatory population which is knee pain and low back pain so that just i would start out with that because you know uh, it's more common for <laughs> for common things being common um that being said uh tendonitis around the elbow i find is almost universally due to grip problems and i think people have in the book it does say to jack the elbows up um, which is going to be reprinted. Um, so I think that's a mistake. I see people all the time with their elbows way up or their hands over the bar and this other weird stuff. And uh, yeah, I would not have anybody do that. You want to keep your elbows down in line with the angle of your trunk. So your elbows may be a little bit higher than that. Uh, but ideally, if you're seeing your elbows you know, move a lot during the, the squat, that could be a problem. Also, the bar sitting too low probably contributes to both of these problems. Um, that's another thing. Uh, and then wrist being over the top of the bar. Uh, the last thing that I see on the bench press is just a, and the press rather, are really like weird, weird ways to hold the barbell. Way um, too much of this turning in of the fingers. I have to correct that all the time. People like just take all the cues way too far. Yeah. It, it, so, so you know, this grip thing is classically referred to as the bulldog grip, right? And I, I don't know who came up with that. Some people say it's Marty Gallagher. Other people, you know, attribute it elsewhere. But the thing isn't, you know, this internal rotation, yeah, that's a little bit, but that's more of an artifact of pinching the bar, of pinching the bar. And that makes the bar sit directly over the radius uh, which is the weight-bearing uh, bone in that uh, in the forearm. Um, so in any event, yeah, I see people do all this weird stuff, and then when they press, it just doesn't look right. So uh, if you think that you're over-exaggerating the cue, mm-hmm. you probably are. Probably are. <laughs> probably are. Um, so I find that mostly form correction fixes this, and then if people are carrying the bar correctly on the back squat and their elbows aren't moving, it tends to be a non-issue. Um, if it is already an issue, I just have them either do thumbs around. If that doesn't correct it, I move, have them do high bar for a little bit just to let things settle down. Because just as we've been saying this whole time, training is better than not training. Yeah. What and about yeah, the other issue? You want to comment on that? The posterior, posterior shoulder. shoulder yeah. yeah. So I, I actually do think that's from the bar sitting very, very low on the back in, in general. Um, and then I don't, I don't necessarily know if I've seen it in absence of a strong kyphotic sort of position and mm-hmm. what i mean you'll see people on the squat they won't stand all the way up straight or whatever and then the bar it, it just 
yeah, between that and the deadlift, and then they won't retract their their uh, their shoulders back on a bench press, and then the pressing I find just to be symptomatic, not necessarily the cause, but yeah, it's been my experience. Yeah. So from my perspective, the elbow deal is is I agree the elbow deal is super common. Um, oftentimes. I agree, grip issues, sometimes people trying to carry too much of the weight on their arms. Uh, I've actually had people who have literally told me that they realized that as they were coming out of the bottom of the squat, they were pressing up into the bar with their hands, like they were trying to press the bar off their back as they're coming out of the bottom. Yeah, Uh, That's a great way, That's yeah, like like a low bar thruster or something. So that's something, you know, just just stuff like that that will kind of irritate the tendons for sure. So I really try to teach people and emphasize the fact that the bar is sitting on your back and your arms and your hands are there to support it in place. And, you know, I'm not always trying to get people to cram their elbows all the way down under the bar. Um, I want their their elbows and their forearms to be more in line with their torso for sure. Um, yeah, but actually, for example, at our last, our last weekend seminar, Rick was on just a rampage going around from platform to platform, cranking everyone's hands in as tight as they could, cramming their elbows down as tight as he possibly could underneath them. And I realized that, hey, a lot of these people, because of their forearm length, jamming their grip in that tight and their elbows down is forcing the bar to be carried on their arms. So I told these people, I said, you are going to end up having elbow pain from this. So I want you to go back to the grip that I had you doing as soon as Rip walked away from the platform. Yeah, (laughs) That was just a a disagreement that I had there in terms of, you know, how tight and how low the elbows should be can definitely increase the rate of elbow problems that we might end up seeing in the future versus decrease the rate of them. First you say no fives, now you say this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So with like Alan Thrall, for example, he was having lots of elbow issues. I told him to go thumbs around and his elbows are a little higher than we would otherwise teach, but it actually allowed him to at least temporarily unload his elbows. So he's not having issues with that anymore. Other situations where we have elbow issues, uh, people who are doing lots and lots of weighted pull-ups, that can definitely result in some elbow issues. I know it's happened with me personally. For those people, I just say, hey, you need to take a break from the weighted pull-ups and we need to do another sort of kind of assistance movement for you. Um, let's see, I don't use tons and tons of pull-ups to cure elbow tendonitis. I think that's just hammering a tissue that's already pissed off. So I would, uh, definitely take a different approach to that sort of thing. I'm going to be doing a big thing on tendons and tendinopathy after we get like our next couple projects out of the way. So I'll come back around, I'll, I'll, I'll come back around and, and deal with the tendon issues a little bit in further detail in the future. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Rich Paul Hill says, say I'm trying to follow the novice starting strength program. Uh, usually I train Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Sometimes life gets in the way and I can't train one of those days. For example, I miss Wednesday and then train Thursday. If that happens, I'll train Saturday instead of Friday. My question is, if I skip a day and push my training, is it better to try and squeeze in three training sessions in a week? Yes. Can we move on? Yep. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Untamed strength. This is Sir Alan Thrall first of his name. Right. If an advanced lifter requires more stress than a novice to get stronger, why does starting strength linear progression suggest deadlifts every session to every other session to one set per week? Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so just the deadlifts. Volume goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that be considered less stress? Is it simply because rate of adaptation slows? Yeah, so this is actually, I think it's a pretty good question. Um, And so we need to clarify the use of terms at the beginning of the question because he says if an advanced lifter requires more stress than a novice, why does the linear progression suggest changing this, this, this kind of deadlifting frequency? And remember that the linear progression is all centered within kind of like the novice stage. 
But what we're seeing here is that at the very, what you're seeing is, so a reason why people might miss a training weight, for example, why they can't do the deadlifting every session anymore, possibilities, inadequate recovery, too much stress, right? So let's take the recovery deal out of the equation and say everyone's recovering okay. At the beginning of the novice progression, for the first couple weeks when people can deadlift every session, the stress, because they are so untrained, is enough to stimulate adaptation, right? But it's not so much that they can't recover from it by the next session. As it gets heavier and heavier, they're able to exert more stress on themselves. It's still enough stress to result in adaptation, but it's too much, it's too fatiguing for them to come back and do it the very next session. So what we're dealing with when we space this out in the novice progression is not that we're trying to apply less stress to them, but we're trying to give them a little bit more time to recover because they're, by the time they're more trained along the path of the novice progression, they're able of, they're able to apply more stress to themselves. And so they need that additional time to recover from it. Of yeah. course, that doesn't work forever. And so you get to the point where deadlifting a set of five a week actually fairly quickly stops being adequate to keep your deadlift going up to where you're able to exert that stress, but it's no longer enough to adapt anymore. And so then you, you know, people will, you know, oftentimes waste a lot of time deloading or they'll continue thinking that one set of five a week is enough. And then we need to add more training volume. We just tell them you need to start pulling more. Yeah. Yeah. To which they go, wait, what? Yeah, wait, more than one set of five a week? Yeah. I, won't I die? You, yes, you'll actually die. <laughs> this is the point, population control. Um, I actually think the nuanced part of this is that you get somebody who is, you have a disconnect between the amount of stress that you can uh, successfully recover from and the amount of stress you can apply in a given session, and then... Um, uh, sort of your just conditioning in general. So I, I ultimately I think early on in the novice phase, you're you have people who can't that all that's all together because you're just a novice, right? But your adapt ab, adaptability rate does not keep in lockstep with your stress application rate initially. So there's yeah. just a discordance, and so you, you end up spacing it out. In addition, you're trying you're adding additional movements in as well. So. Um, for instance, would you have any a, a no shit advanced lifter pull three times a week? I mean, yeah, maybe. Um, and the thing is, they've just trained long enough where they cannot really impart enough stress in a single session mm -hmm. um, to to really really make an adaptation. And that their recovery rate is so high as well anyway that they can tolerate pulling more. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that they can compensate and adapt between the stress and their next exposure which is why they don't go up every week. <laughs> like, right. This was, this was actually a question that I got during the programming lecture that I gave at the last seminar because somebody asked, well, if the stress recovery adaptation cycle just ends up spacing out, why don't you do, do just one massive workout and come back two weeks later in PR? Can't. And, and so you, you can't do that. If you applied enough stress in that one session to, that you would then subsequently recover from and adapt two weeks later, you would die before you finish that workout. So right. you, need to, you need additional stress to be accumulated in the interim before you get there. Right. So the and then the main the main take home is that a successful the correct amount of stress application is not just a point where your performance decreases transiently. And what I mean by that is if you have somebody do a starting strength novice progression session, they squat, bench, deadlift, they do that. If they try to do that workout twelve hours later, they have not yet improved enough to add weight to the bar. Okay. So they've applied enough stress to decrease their performance and also cause an adaptation.
mm-hmm. the advanced lifter can if they do a session at 10 a.m in the morning you know on a monday if they tried to do that same workout at 10 p.m at night their performance would be low but the amount of stress that they imparted on that right there was not enough to cause adaptation 48 hours later so mm-hmm. effectively they have to have multiple workouts that are all summed together all of which would in the short term decrease their performance they need to get all of that stress together and then recover from that which is why you know block periodization ends up being heavily used you have people accrue stress over multiple series of weeks and then realize their improvement much later on um, in any event okay we go on uh this is uh, Vic Damfus. I hope I'm saying that right, because if I said it the other way, I just don't think that's going to work. Uh, <laughs> what advice do you have for someone who wants to do powerlifting but also has a labor job? Uh, like me, I'm a lineman, which is hard physically. I don't think he means a lineman like in the NFL. I think he means like an electrical. <laughs> like Yeah, yeah. He works is, on a line of some sort. Are you going to introduce the milkman theory? I'm not familiar. Go ahead. The milkman theory. <laughs> so the milk or the mailman theory. It's just like a super conditioned dude because of his job or something. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, yeah. you have somebody fresh off street unconditioned and they have to go deliver all the mail or the milk or whatever. And they're doing this by foot, for instance. So their steps go from, you know, 2000 a day to 25,000. Initially, their performance subsequent decreases until they get adapted to that, in which case it's no longer a stress. Yeah. I find the biggest problems with these sort of physically based jobs are actually dehydration. You know, I can, just, yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah, especially if you're working outside and you're like, oh, I'm thirsty now. Well, you're already too late. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 we can, I hope we can assume that, you know, in your physically demanding job, you're not expected to do, you're not expected to progressively overload yourself every day you go to work, right? You right. should be doing some sort of a similar job day to day to which you'll adapt. Make sure you stay hydrated and get enough calories in throughout the day and then you get home and you're going to train. Or if it works better for you, train before you work if you're that kind of person more resistors so thanks for joining me we'll be back in the near future and thanks for your questions everybody thanks for listening yeah so uh, i'm going to add two things here number one if you had your question answered you are hereby required to go on itunes and leave a review that'd be great yeah anyone else anyone else is highly encouraged to you don't necessarily have to but those who have their questions answered, I'm going to say you're required to. Of course, I have no way of enforcing this, but it'd be very helpful. So please do that. Yeah. And I, I think the other if, thing. Yeah, go ahead. I think if our reviews don't go up by like at least like 20, then we just. We're going to know something's up. Yeah. We have to like boycott doing Instagram lives for a while <laughs> or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is that um, we recently announced that we're going to be doing a seminar down here in San Antonio in September. Uh, so you all should look into that and register, come on down. We're going to be doing, uh, lots of lectures in depth material on various, uh, medical topics that we commonly get asked about debunking BS as we tend to do. And you're also going to get live in-person coaching from us on the basic barbell lifts as well. So it should be a good weekend. So sign up and come down to San Antonio and visit. Yes. There is a link in my bio. It's on the Eventbrite page and uh we'll be pimping that thing until it sells out so yeah make it happen people all right cool see you see you later man bye